Bibles and turn to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 1. We're going to look at the book of Numbers here for a few weeks, do some some things here in the book of Numbers, going through here and finding some lessons from an Old Testament book. Some people say, well, there's nothing we can learn from the Old Testament. That's all past. That's all behind. We, uh, that's not really uh, important anymore. But uh, it's still part of the Bible. And uh, so we're going to look at some lessons from Numbers here. We've been in the New Testament for uh, quite some time in the book of John. Now we're coming to... Uh, the fourth book of Moses. We are, we're in the fourth book of the New Testament. Now we're going to be in the fourth book of the Old Testament, uh, the book of Numbers. And we're looking at some lessons from Numbers. And uh, I'm going to give a series of messages looking at Numbers. Some of you know how uh, uh, much I enjoy history. Well, I was also a math teacher. So uh, Numbers is uh, important. And I've been helping uh, Nathaniel Hull with his algebra here recently, and so it's kind of uh, 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 saw this uh, recently. If I had a dollar for every time I used algebra in my adult life, I'd have N dollars, right? Uh, well, some would say that N uh, stands for no, no dollars, <laughs> but uh, you'd be surprised how often you do use math. Uh, math helps you to uh, build things. Uh, it helps you in uh, grocery shopping. It helps you in baking. Uh, it helps you to plan a trip, and it helps you to save money uh, if you know math. And so uh, even algebra can help you in some of that. I was kind of thinking, uh, my wife was in the fabric store yesterday, and I was trying to come up with a formula, uh, but she had it all figured out already because she's such a math whiz. Um, and uh, that's why uh, I take care of the checkbook, and she doesn't. But anyway... Uh, I had to uh, tutor my wife in math uh, uh, not too many years ago. Uh, she had uh, she was a college dropout, and uh, she had uh, uh, she dropped out to marry me, and uh, but uh, uh, helped me put uh, put me through college. Well, later on, she had the opportunity to finish her two year degree, but she had to take math, and uh, so uh, we sat at the kitchen table. For a number of nights, and uh, night after night after night after night, and uh, we we worked on math. So uh, uh, I was her her math tutor as well. But numbers, that's what we think about when we think about numbers. There are many valuable lessons I think we can we can see in this book, uh, and I trust that it will be uh, some helpful things other than just knowing some math, uh, but some really some Bible principles that God has for us to live by. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, the book of Genesis is, of course, the book of beginnings. Uh, within its pages, we're kind of given the details of the commencement of our universe, the uh, creation of our earth, the creation of man, creation of, of the human race, the sin of mankind. We look at civilization. We look at the uh, Hebrew people, the nations and various nations that uh, uh, were brought about. And then God's plan of redemption through the bloody sacrificial death of the innocent. It shows us that God is a creator He's, and not man, uh, but uh, he, uh, he is the creator, and we have some a definite time of beginning. And it wasn't millions and millions and millions of years ago, okay? But we have Genesis. Now, the book of Exodus is a book of redemption. In Genesis, we see man's downfall, his flops, his failures, 
Uh, but in Exodus, we see the Lord taking care of our failures, lifting us up, giving us hope by his wonderful grace and redemption. Uh, the curtains of Exodus open in gloom and doom. Uh, at the close of the book, they are filled with glory and delight. Uh, what was ruined by sin in Genesis was redeemed by the blood in Exodus. Uh, Genesis again shows us the nation of Israel chosen to be God's peculiar people, and their redemption is revealed in the book of Exodus. Uh, the book of Leviticus is a book of worship. Uh, one of the key phrases is, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Uh, the emphasis of, emphasis of this book is on purity. Leviticus deals with God's call to worship. It issues, uh, uh, issues such as access to the Lord, communion with Him, separation from sin, holiness in life. Uh, those are all addressed in the book of Leviticus. Uh, the book teaches us how to draw near to God in worship. But as we come to the book of Numbers, this book deals with the walk and warfare of the believer as they are pilgrims going through the wilderness of life. It's a handbook for pilgrims. In Numbers, Israel is walking and wandering and wayward. Uh, it's a book about the unfortunate pilgrimage where a group of people who knew better did not live better lives. They suffered the consequences of a bad decision that was made at the crossroad of their lives. Now, in different parts of the world, we have the word count. Uh, count shows up with a number of different meanings. When we talk about numbers, we're, not, we're talking about counting, right? And uh, so, uh, uh, for instance, uh, a young person might say, well, count me out. They might say, you know, I got other plans. Just count me out. Uh, that's what uh, teenagers often say when they have their own plans and they don't want to do what the rest of the family does. Uh, a fight uh, fan, a boxing fan, might uh, notice that uh, the boxer that uh, gets laid out on the canvas is counted out. Counted out. That means the boxer's on his back in the ring and he's lost the fight. And then we have men of, and, and people in this world today who are of no account. They're just, uh, that's just way of saying they're not worth very much in the eyes of society. They're, they're, uh, they're, they don't do much. They, they don't work. They don't, uh, try to, uh, get ahead in life. Uh, we have, uh, what's called count kin. That's a Scottish term. I don't know if any of the, you have a Scottish background, but it basically means to compare family trees, compare, uh, with somebody else, see if the two, uh, people might be distantly related. You know, we find sometimes uh, that's that's what it means to count kin. Uh, it's often we find uh, uh, people that we're related to, and oh, that's you know so and so's cousin three times removed or whatever it was, and uh, we find out uh, we were on the same family tree. Uh, in modern science and even science fiction, you have the countdown. It's a familiar word. It's a process of signaling the launch of a rocket by counting from a higher number, usually. You know, a couple of days, and then they really get serious about it when they get to 10. And they call 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, blast off. And the rocket goes up. I can remember watching those uh, countdowns uh, as a, a boy when they were sending rockets up. I don't, they don't uh, television that, uh, televise that very much anymore, but, uh, and that's not too much, uh, space travel going on except to the space station, uh, up there. But, uh, most of us uh, would be familiar with the word count 
as a synonym for dependability. You can count on me. Now, it may have had a military origin. Uh, Once soldiers are in position, they are counted off. They're ready to hear and obey their officer's orders. Uh, And this is really kind of the way that we're looking at the word count uh, in this study, this this, uh, lesson this morning. To be counted on means to be the kind of Christian God can depend on to get a job done right. And I wonder, are you the kind of Christian that God can count on in these days that which we live? Now, the book of Numbers opens with a count of all the fighting men in the camp. Uh, they were counted, but they couldn't be counted on. You could number them, but you could not depend upon them uh, to be the, the men that you needed. Uh, because all but two of them died during Israel's march through the wilderness. And then a new generation was counted, and they were people that the Lord could count on. Uh, they trusted his word, they entered into the promised land, and they claimed it for their inheritance. Now, as never before, we need people who the Lord can depend upon. Someone has put it, we have too much cafeteria Christianity today. With God's people going from church to church, sampling ministry after ministry, not settling down to serve the Lord faithfully in a place where he's assigned them. And no wonder we have Christians who are losing so many battles. But I trust the study of the book of Numbers can help us better understand how God directs people. Why being faithful to him is so important. How we can grow spiritually in the difficulties of life. Uh, We don't have uh, to fail, as did the first generation. We can be more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, Numbers is about direction, God's direction, and man's rejection of God's leading and guidance. And we find the rebellion and the stubbornness of Israel led to their wandering in the wilderness almost 40 years. And so the book could also be called the book of murmuring. The book of murmuring because of all the complaining of the people. We find in Psalm 95 and verse 10, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known thy ways. Turn with me over uh, to Numbers chapter 14. We'll get back to chapter 1 for a moment here. But Numbers chapter 14 and verses 22 and 23, I think we could be, we could call these the key verses of this book. Numbers 14 and verses 22 and 23. It says, Because all these men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. We're going to see that uh, in this book. A complaining people, a people that reject the word of God, and we're going to see what, what happens in that case. Because this is a book for pilgrims, the lessons we find within it are valuable since you know we too are pr- pilgrims. We're just pilgrims. We're just here temporarily. Uh, This world is not our home. We're just passing through, as the song says. But we find in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, 
Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, before we get into the details of this book, I want to see us to see some lessons we can learn from this book. Uh, God's word has given to us, was given to us to teach us. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, it says, Now all these things happen unto them, for examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. All these things. What are these things? Well, it's, it's the Old Testament. Uh, whatever happened in, in, this, in this part of the book is, is there for our admonition. That's why we study the Old Testament. And by the way, that word in samples, some people say, well, that's just an old English word for examples. Uh, examples, that's an example is someone who's uh, uh, being a, a, a model or a, a help or, to someone by their, the way they live. In samples is more than one example. It's a plural type of word. And so we have many examples. And so that's why you have that word in samples. Then in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Oh, you mean we're supposed to come to church and learn something? Yes, that's why we're here, to learn. We're not only here to worship God and to praise Him, but we're here to learn something. Learn that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Learning something gives us hope. Now, let's look at some of those lessons that we have here in the book of Numbers. Number one, God's people are not always in God's will. God's people are not always in God's will. God's people tend to get out of place or out of bounds. Uh, God wanted his people in the promised lands, but disobedience, rebellion, and doubt led to their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, the will of God is to be a priority in our lives. God wants us to realize that he had a plan for every person. We are to run our course or our race for Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin in which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The cloud of witnesses was Hebrews chapter 11 and the hall of faith. And seeing we have them, we need to lay aside the weight and the sin that will get us down. And we need to run our race uh, uh, that is set before us. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So God's people need to be faithful and know that God has a course. God has a race set before them, and we need to, to, to finish that race. Now notice, in uh, first of all, the Bible teaches several truths about God's will. The Bible teaches several truths about God's will. First of all, God wants us to know his course. He wants us to know his course. God doesn't want us to be ignorant of his will. He doesn't just want us to wander around aimlessly and think, well, I don't know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do next day, uh, tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do in the future. God wants us to know his will. He doesn't just want you to go through life blindly, 
hoping you're doing his will. He wants you to know it and do it. Acts 22.14 says, And he said, The God of our father, fathers has chosen thee, that thou shouldst know his will, and see the just one, and shouldst hear the voice of his mouth. So God wants you to know his course, his race that he set before you. Secondly, we're to pray about his will. The psalmist prayed about God's will in Psalm 143 and verse 8. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my so- I lift up my soul unto thee. That's Psalm 148 verse 3. You continue on in, in Psalm 148 and or 143 and verse 10, he says there, teach me to do thy will. He's praying, God, let me know your will and teach me what your will is. For thou art my God, thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. I understand the land of uprightness in the Hebrew means level ground. You know, when you get my age, level ground feels pretty good. It's going up steps and down the steps, you know. Uh, over the hills and and from hole number one to hole number two and and so forth, it gets a little harder. Uh, we were uh, had the uh, uh, opportunity, I guess. I don't know if it was a privilege, but we were at the Viking Stadium uh, on Friday watching our grandson play flag football. Well, we had to go down some long steps to get down to where we were going to sit. But the trouble is, you go down, you got to go back up. Well, rocky, uneven ground, sometimes it's hard for us to navigate. And so when he says, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my people, thy spirit is good, lead me into the land of uprightness. When you're walking, you want to stay upright. You want to stay on level ground. Number three, God's plan for us is personal. Psalm 32 and verse 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. That's a personal promise. I will guide thee, not just y'all, but you personally, me personally. God's plan is for us and it's personal. Number four, God's plan is detailed. Psalm 37 and verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Number five, God's plan for us is continual. Isaiah 58 and verse 11, and the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. You know, that reminds me, some of you are closing down your gardens, right? Because they're just not going to be producing anymore. It's getting close to winter. And so, uh, but you, when you've got a garden in the summer, you keep it watered so it doesn't dry out and die. And then it talks about a spring of water. Waters fail not. We have an artesian well not far from here. And you go there and it just keeps running. I always uh, kind of ask people as I meet them on the walkway down there, I said, did you leave us any? And they say, oh, yeah, there's, there's plenty, you know, because it just keeps on coming. And that's God's plan is, is continual. It's not just for one day. 
It's for tomorrow. It's for this week. It's for next week. It's continual. The Lord shall guide thee continually. Number six, God's plan is specific. Isaiah 30 and verse 21, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. God has some very specific uh, things for us if we'll be asking again, and, and, and as we talked about in our Sunday school lesson this morning about getting answers to our prayers, God's plan is specific. Number seven, God's plan is good, acceptable, and perfect. Romans 12 and verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible teaches us truths about God's will. So that means we need to be reading God's word. Secondly, God's word gives us certain elements of God's will. The Bible teaches us certain elements in God's will. We have several of them here. Notice separation from sinful living. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. It is God's will that you and I live a holy life. Secondly, supplication and satisfaction. Again, in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, he says, Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Number three, service to the Lord, 1 Peter 2, 15 and 16. Again, here's a verse that says very specifically, This is the will of God, for this so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as a servant of God. With well-doing, that doesn't make any difference what you're doing. You do it well. If you're a carpenter, you do it well. If you're a mechanic, you do it well. If you're uh, a, uh, a basketball player, you do it well. Because it puts to silence the ignorance of foolish men. If you're a Christian, do it well. As we said this morning already, if you're going to be a, you're going to call yourself a Christian, then live like one. Service to the Lord. Number four, soberness about life. James 4.15 says, For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. You know, I hope I can do something tomorrow. I have some plans for tomorrow, but I don't know if it's the Lord's will. We all think, well, we got to do this, 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 and this this week. I got this list I've got to accomplish. The Lord willing. The Lord may not have that in mind for you. What is God's word? We have to have a soberness of life. We think we know what's going to happen in the days ahead, but we don't know. And then number five, surrender your whole heart. Ephesians 6, 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We're not to serve the Lord only when someone is watching us. Uh, we're not to serve him to please men or be recognized by men. We're to serve Christ from the heart because we love him. Now, these aspects of God's will, I think, are very clear because it says this is the will of God in these passages. But no, notice there are some things maybe that are not 
as clear because they don't say this is the will of God. So how can we know God's plan or God's will for our lives? Well, there's uh, four things here that work together. Number one is through Scripture. We need to know what the Bible says. Secondly, we through the Spirit of God. If we're saved, we have the indwelling Spirit of God, and He's going to be our teacher, our helper, our guide. Through the sovereigns or authorities over us, that could include parents, pastors, a husband, uh, 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 government officials, whatever the authority is in your life, uh, you can see that this is going to help you know God's will. And then through cer- situations or circumstances. Some people only go with number four. They say, well, if the circumstances are right, then I'll do it. They don't pray about it. They don't read the scriptures. They don't listen to those advice of those who are in authority over them. And so they just say, well, if it, if it looks good, I'll do it. And then they head off into the wrong direction many times. All four of these have to work together. So lesson number one here from the book of Numbers even, even though we've gone other places, is that God's people are not always in God's will. And God's people, Israel, were not always in God's will. They ended up wandering in the wilderness. But secondly, we are to be prepared to fight the Lord's battles. Scriptural warfare is part of being a soldier for Christ. And this is what we ought to be. We're in the Lord's army. Uh, we, we've seen, we see this in, in the Word of God. Number of places. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12, where it tells us to fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of, on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. 2 Timothy 2 and verses 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man worth, uh, that worth entangleth themselves with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, it's interesting that uh, many people think the Christian life is a playground. But it's not. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. You know, many churches are offended by the thought of spiritual warfare. I was brought up uh, in, in, a, uh, uh, in a denomination that was uh, offended by calling ourselves soldiers. They were pacifists. They, were non, uh, they weren't uh, uh, interested in serving uh, the, our country in that way. And they thought, well, spiritual warfare, that's not what Christians aren't supposed to be soldiers. Uh, They didn't read their Bibles very well, apparently. And so the result of their worldliness is a loss of spiritual uh, effectiveness for Christ. Uh, Some churches have even removed confrontational songs from their songbooks, like Onward Christian Soldiers or Hold the Fort. But listen, we're in a battle whether we admit it or not, and the prize of the battle is the souls of men. Now, do you realize that more people... Go to McDonald's than go to church. More people go to McDonald's than go to church. It's a more recognizable symbol than the cross. It's interesting that many churches today, talking about playgrounds, churches have a mall-like element. They have fast food uh, places. They have coffee shops. They have playgrounds for kids. Uh, one church, the kids slide down a giant slide into the junior church. That's what I need. Just, you know, 
out the door or through the cubby hole right down to the bottom of the church. Maybe that's something we could think about. No. Someone come up to plans with that. Well, that's making church, uh, uh, that's taking away some of the things that uh, church is all about. But you know what? Ephesians 6.12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, unwillingness to serve in the Lord's army uh, is leads to a wandering and wasted life. We find here in Numbers chapter 1 the, uh, the phrase, able to go forth to war. That's used 14 times in Numbers chapter 1. Are you able to wage spiritual warfare in your life right now, or are you listening to the drumbeat of another drummer? Are you an, following another master other than the Lord Jesus Christ? Matthew twelve thirty says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. God's people were counted, but could not be counted on to do his will except for two men in this, in this book. I wonder this morning, can the Lord count on you? So lesson number one is, God's people are not always in God's will. Lesson number two is, we are to be prepared to fight the Lord's battles. Number three, life is a wilderness. I'm not talking about getting lost in the north woods here. I'm talking about the Christian life is a wilderness. And since life is a wilderness, we need to go God's direction and guidance. We must follow Him lest we fail. We're to go forward in faith, following Christ. You know, there's a familiar verse in John 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is not only a verse that's good for salvation, but it's a good verse for the Christian life. You see, life in Spooner is a wilderness. Trees, trees, and more trees. You know, Sometimes it's hard for a wide-open, plain-state boy from Kansas to handle all these trees. Uh, Can't see the sunset very well with all the trees in the way. You know, we spend some time here in Spooner, and of course we have some grandchildren, some daughters in Minneapolis. My son-in-law calls it the concrete jungle. Uh, Traffic is heavy in your area, my wife's phone says from time to time. Yes, in Spooner. The traffic is heavy in your area. That means you have to wait for 10 cars instead of just one car to get on Highway 63. Traffic is heavy. But you know, you live in the big cities, it's even there, it's a wilderness. You live in Spooner, it's a wilderness. Life is a wilderness. John 8, 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It's a lesson for us to learn here. Life is a wilderness, and we need to acknowledge it as that. Number four, the fourth lesson here is complaining is contagious. Doubting God is disastrous. 
Complaining is contagious. Doubting God is disastrous. It does not take long for a negative spirit to spread. Grumbling and griping and complaining and doubting will, uh, are those things that ruined Israel. And I'm glad. Well, have we heard some grumbling and complaining here? You know, it won't take long if that continues on here. This church will have a real problem and will be ruined. So we need to make sure that we don't complain, that we don't doubt God. Ephesians 4, 30 and 31 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and, da- and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you from, with all malice. So lesson number one, God's people are not always in God's will. Lesson number two, we are to be prepared to fight the Lord's battles. Number three is life is a wilderness. Number four, complaining is contagious and doubting God is disastrous. Number five, spiritual instruction is important. We need the instruction of God's word because we tend to be immature and ignorant of his truth. We need to know God's word. We can't stay baby Christians all of our lives. Some think they know God's word, but they don't. I heard someone on television one time say, uh, the Lord helps them that helps themselves. What chapter and verse is that? Then they went on to say, well, that's what it says in the Bible. No, there's a lot of things people say that aren't in the Bible. They say they're in the Bible. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Ephesians 4 and verse 14 says, That ye henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. We need to see spiritual growth. Uh, Determine that you might grow spiritually in the year ahead. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. See, God's plan for Israel was that the eldest son would act as the priest of the family. We go back to the book of Exodus in chapter 13 and verses 1 and 2. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me, or set apart unto me, all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both man and of beast, it is mine. But because of the continual wickedness of Israel, the Lord limited the priesthood to the Levites. In Numbers chapter 3, if you look, just turn the page over to Numbers chapter 3 and notice verse 11 through 13. Numbers chapter 3, verse 11. It says there, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, And I, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of all the firstborn that openeth the matrix among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. For on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. Mine shall they be. I am the Lord. Now, when Israel was numbered, we're going to find that the Levites are not going to be included because they were exempt from military duty. In chapter 4 and verse 48, 
we find about 8,580 priests. That was about 233 people per priest. And their job was to make sure the people worshipped correctly. Now, worship and warfare go together. If worship is not right, then the warfare is going to be weakened. We'll find that in the book of Numbers. And the key reason why many Christians are not serving the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, is because their worship isn't right. And so their warfare isn't right either. Let's go on. Lesson number six. God does things decently and orderly. You know, God is not the author of confusion. In order to move this crowd of people, these Israelites, they had to be organized. They had to be organized. The census showed that there were about 603,550 men that were 20 and older. The grand total with women and children, probably two and a half to three million people. The number was confirmed in the ransom offering. A half shekel was given for each person. If we look at Exodus chapter 38, verse 25 and 26, it says, And the silver of them that were numbered of the congregation was a hundred talents and a thousand seven hundred and threescore and fifty shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, a becca for every man, that is half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary, for every one that went to be numbered from twenty years and upward for six hundred thousand and three thousand. 600,000 and 3,550 men. Now, when God leads in your life, he doesn't lead you through confusion. Now, we get confused sometimes, don't we? It's because we aren't following him. Don't blame God for confusion in your life. The Lord gives us focus in frustration. He gives us calm and clarity in confounding circumstances and sensibility and stability in shaky situations. And if you're confused this morning, you need to get your on your knees and get into the Word of God. If you want to be successful in the days in which we live, you need to read the instruction book, God's Holy Word, the Bible. And then there's one more lesson I want to draw to your attention this morning. God will supply all your needs. Of course, Philippians 4.19, familiar verse. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now that does not say all your want. It says all your need. And we learn, we learn this from the book of Numbers. We're going to see in the book of Numbers the food that was needed to feed two and a half to three million people. That required about 50 rail rode boxcars of manna per day. I know they didn't have railways back then. But if you want to put it in today's terms, and we don't even see very many trains anymore. When we lived in Napanee, Indiana, we had a train, that, a tracks that came right through the middle of town. And sometimes uh, we had to stop and wait for a hundred car trains uh, uh, coming through. There were coal trains coming from Chicago and going east or going back uh, empty or vice versa, whatever it was. But whenever you had to sit there, you had some time to think, right? And you could just think about filling 50 boxcars of manna, and that would feed the Israelites for one day. And then add to that a train enough 
with enough tanker cars to carry 12 million gallons of water for one day. Now, is it possible that the manna had a quantity of moisture in it that would give people the water they needed to their bodies? Probably. But God miraculously supplied their needs when they were in the barren desert. You know, and God can supply your need and my needs today as well. He can provide the needs we have as a church. He can supply your individual needs. He can fulfill your most important need, and that is forgiveness and cleansing of your sin. He can give you eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so you have these seven very important lessons, vital to maturing and growing in Christ and being what God intended you to be. We haven't even got to chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4 yet, which we'll get to tonight, the Lord willing. But God's people are not always in God's will. We are to be prepared to fight the Lord's battles. Life is a wilderness. Complaining is contagious and doubting God is disastrous. Spiritual instruction is important. God does, not, does things decently and orderly, and God will supply your needs. And I trust that as we study the Old Testament book of Numbers, it'll be a blessing to your hearts, and it'll help each one of us here to grow spiritually in the coming days. Let's pray.